That's Caleb. And I'm so grateful that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me today. And today I have an incredible guest that I'm going to be talking with, and it is Neil Anderson. And if you're not familiar with Neil, Neil has authored several best-selling books that have literally sold millions of copies. One of them is called uh, Victory Over the Darkness, Realizing the Power of Your Identity and Christ. Another one is called uh, The Bondage Breaker. As well, he has also uh, been the creator of the, the Steps to Freedom in Christ as well, if you're familiar with that. And uh, today, I'm so excited because Neil is somebody that his work has influenced me um, for, for so much of my life uh, through the influence of my dad. As well, I remember my dad introduced me um, probably, you know, somewhere around 10 years ago to the work of Neil Anderson. It has literally just transformed my life so much. And so I was so excited to have this conversation with Neil. Um, but before we get into that, I want to let you or want to remind you of a couple of things. First, I just want to say thank you to Sam Massey for creating this wonderful music that you're listening to. And if you have any audio or video needs, be sure to hit him up. You can find him on all social uh, media platforms at Sam Massey. And uh, he would love to potentially work with you on anything like that. I also want to remind you about the vision and, and why this uh, podcast is created. Is we want to be a safe place to where we want to create a safe place to have dangerous conversations. The conversations that maybe sometimes you're afraid to bring up or you're not sure um, who to talk with them about that. We want to be a place where you can have those conversations because we truly believe that you can learn from anyone and from everyone, from anything and from everything. And that's what we want to do on this podcast is we want to create a safe place to have dangerous conversations so that we can continue to learn and grow as as men, as women, as leaders, as husbands, as wives, as just be growing and becoming better as just people and as humans. And that's what we want to do on this podcast. And that's why we're going to have the conversation with Neil Anderson. And I'm so excited to bring this to you right now. Well, Neil, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Well, thanks. Thanks for asking me. Looking forward to it. Yeah. And and just as we get started, I always, whenever people have created, uh, whether it be books or courses or created any type of um, any type of thing, I love to hear the story behind it. And I'm just curious for you, you know, with, with, uh, writing books such as Victory Over the Darkness and The Bondage Breaker and even even help uh, author like the, the Steps to Freedom in Christ. Where, where did all of that begin for you? Well, it uh, it's a mystery to me, to be honest with you. I was uh, I just went out and had the privilege to perform the wedding for my granddaughter and and um, a friend of mine was along with me and I my sister lives in the area staying with her. And I looked at my sister, I said, uh, Shirley, would you have ever guessed, knowing me when I was that kid on the farm, that I would ever have a global ministry? And she said, not a clue. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was born and raised on a farm in Minnesota. Got a little pin, says I went to church for nine straight years. Uh, never found Christ during that time. But, you know, I believe the Bible stories and all that. And uh, so I have a very innocent childhood. I, I literally was born on a farm that my dad was born on, that my grandfather settled from Norway. Walked a mile to country school my grandfather built. And uh, so you, who would have guessed at that time that I'd be an aerospace engineer and go into ministry? I mean, it, was, it it's all a, a marvelous journey that God had that in mind, I suppose. But I'll tell you what, I did not. And uh, probably the interesting thing about my life, looking back, is uh, uh, I wanted to be a farmer. And when they mm -hmm. sold the family farm in my senior year, I said, now what? So I went in the Navy for four years. And and uh, got some really good experience in electronics. And then be, got out, got a degree in aeronautical engineering and uh, worked on flight systems back in the 60s. We actually had the uh, guidance system for the lunar lander. And so, you know, kind of thought I was, that was my career track. And, and uh, when I met Joanne, my wife, at the 
you know, uh, she was Catholic. I was Methodist. We became Episcopalians, and then we found the Lord. <laughs> yeah. I was actually senior warden of an Episcopal church, you know, kind of living the all-American life. I, my first um, child was born, Heidi, and, uh, you know, I played in two golf leagues and pitched for two fast fish fall softball teams and kind of the all-American boy. I never really drank, never smoked much, and uh, always believed I was a Christian. And this man invited me to the Slay Institute for Evangelism. In hindsight, I don't think I know what that was. Had I gone, I probably, no one, I probably wouldn't have gone. <laughs> my thinking at that time is I won't knock on your door if you don't knock on mine and uh, halfway through the so-called training I realized I didn't have any faith in God and gave my heart to Christ and went out Saturday door to door and led three people to Christ I mean huh. it was like was that sobering or what I've been playing church all of those years and uh, and I was kind of like many people in Minnesota I was like a religious non-believer you know kind of going through the motions you always believe in God kind of a thing so and then from there on, it was just amazing what happened. I, I mean, I got transferred out of my beloved Minnesota to California, which you wouldn't think would be a good spiritual move. But for me, it was. took me out of my comfort zone. And, and I mean, almost, you know, it's a long story. But I mean, two years later, I just stood up at Expo 72 and Bill Bright gave an invitation to go full-time ministry and, and went off to seminary and had no, very little understanding of who I was and who God was. and Fortunately, I ended up in the Good Evangelical Seminary, and and um, I, I would have been content at that time to be a country pastor with pay me with chickens and eggs. You know, I mean, I had no great ambitions. I really, honestly, didn't. And uh, but when I got into ministry, I started to come across people who had problems I didn't have adequate answers for. You know, I really believe Christ was the answer, truth that set people free. But I saw people, many people, really come to Christ during that time, but they struggled with the same old stuff. And I thought, where's the new creation of Christ? I mean, I, I, I kind of had this thinking at that time. If, if you picked up the Bible on a deserted island someplace and read about it and had this image of what a Christian nation would look like, it didn't look like the United States. I mean, I, there seemed to be a lot more potential there than what I see living out in our churches. And so uh, we went through kind of a crisis with my wife. She developed cataracts. I, that was I need to get her out of that role of a senior pastor's wife. And so that was my motivation to get my doctorate. I had no idea what God was going to deal do with that. And to my surprise, literally surprised, out of the blue, the dean at Talbot called me and said, have you taken a position yet? And I said, no. And so I ended up going to Talbot, where I taught for 10 years. And uh, But I went there, uh, Caleb, looking for answers myself. And uh, I started this Master's of Theology elective. And and uh, I think I had 17 students first year, good number for elective, really good number. Then 23, then 35, then 65, then 150, then 250. <laughs> if you know anything about a seminary, that's a phenomenon. And the reason was I was starting to see the lives of my students literally change, discovering who they were in Christ, uh, finding a means to actually resolve conflicts, not discuss them or whatever else. And so, and I sat on that I mean, for about five years. I mean, I, I just didn't feel comfortable going to churches yet. I Partly, I'll tell you why. Because at that time, I was fully aware that the vast majority of evangelicals in the Western world aren't, don't have a clue about spiritual warfare. And all of them have been taught all their life. You're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. And I said, I'm going to go out and tell you part of your problems are spiritual. And by the way, you're a saint who sins. And uh, I said, you better have some credentials. <laughs> and so uh, I really, and then all of a sudden I felt God released me to, to go to churches. And I, so I tried it on weekends and, and it's a long story, but I mean, I didn't have a clue at that time. And I think probably the oddest part about it was, was after about eight years teaching at the seminary, the school paid me to go to a writer's conference, which was at, on campus. And I looked at my colleague, they paid our way. And I looked at him, I said, there's 400 people here and I'm the only one that doesn't want to write a book. <laughs> He's been sharing that line all across the country ever since. So like about 70 books have come out and that, that's a surprise too. So, uh, you know, I never would have anticipated that. I mean, I never had a clue, I never had a desire to have a global ministry, for instance. I mean, it's just, it, it's all a God thing. And I look back and I said, how'd that happen? I said, oh, gee. 
you know, if I want to take credit for anything, I'm just a hardworking farm boy that believed God. You know, it's about as simple as that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just, just what you were talking about, one of the things that is just so prevalent throughout all of your work is just the importance of, of having our identity in Christ. And I was just going to say, can you just speak to a little bit about that? Like why that is so important and maybe, maybe why that can be a challenge for us sometimes. Well, I, here, here was, here was the odd part about it is it was actually my first year teaching the Talbot that like scales just came off my eyes and I suddenly realized who I was. I was a child mm-hmm. of God. My life is in Christ. You know, I may have known that theologically, but I don't know, something happened internally. And I struggled with that. You know, the years I taught the seminary, is this a growth issue? You kind of grow into it? Uh, or is it intended to be foundational? Well, biblically, you, you have to see it as foundational. As many as received him, that then they gave the right to become children of God. Here's what I discovered. Every hurting person that God started bringing to me, I mean, I was I was looking for this. <laughs> I'm not a trained counselor or anything else. My whole expertise was evangelism, discipleship, leadership, management, theology, and that. And uh, so to look back now and say, and I may be the only pastor teacher in this country that's written books on anger, anxiety disorders, <laughs> depression you know, chemical addiction, sexual addiction, all from a Christian worldview perspective. And um, I mean, so how did that happen? I mean, I am not a trained psychologist. And in hindsight, and please don't anybody be offended by this, I'm almost thankful for that because I didn't learn all that secular stuff that all these people have to go through to get their licensure. All my theology and my psychology really comes out of scripture. You know, God, the definitive definition of the soul is in your bible it's, it's in who we are as children of god and so uh every person that came to me though had one thing in common none of them knew who they were in christ they didn't have a clue and i just struggled with that why don't we know that why doesn't every bible teacher preacher teacher teach this i mean because it's the holy spirit's work to bear witness with our spirit of children of god so i'm going to work with god that's what he's trying to accomplish rather than sit down and, and identify people by their failure identity. So I'm an alcoholic or drug addict. No, that's, Paul never identifies a believer by their flesh patterns. We recognize no man according to the flesh. And so I have found this to be absolutely foundational. And if you think about it for a moment, I said, what could be more important in your belief system other than knowing who God is? Well, knowing who you are. And uh, so discovering that, is is and man i just found fertile ground i put together this little uh bookmarker that has an identity list of who we are in christ just from scripture it's just scripture and uh, man it's on refrigerators all over the country all around the world and and people look at that and they go is that true this is scripture i mean it's just and so you know it was i really did struggle with that i just wonder why in the world something so foundational as this of being firmly rooted in Christ and you don't know who you are, you know, no person can consistently behave in a way that's inconsistent with what they believe about themselves. Mm-hmm. So if I'm just this failure, drug addict, dope addict, whatever else, I said, chances are that's going to be self-fulfilling prophecy. You're going to live out your own perception. And, uh, and the good part about this is this isn't psychological hype or trying to hype up somebody to believe something about themselves that's not true. We're just telling the truth of who they really are as a born-again child of God. Yeah. And uh, man, I tell you what, I there's nothing more exciting to me than to see people's eyes open up to that reality and suddenly they connect Abba Father. Yeah. Uh, you got you got me thinking while you were just talking about that. And uh it I imagine. It had to have been like probably felt lonely at times because like you were saying, you're the you're the only one who that you, at least that you know of who is trying to figure out the answer to this question. And even some, you know, you said you were trying to um, prepare so that you could bring it to the churches. And I just imagine that had to have been just just a challenging time, just personally, just trying to figure out all of that. And what what helped you through that? Well, it really was. And, uh, and to be honest with you, I, um, uh, I look back and I say the biggest gift 
in terms of human beings that God has given in my life, other than my wife, was uh, was Dr. Robert Sosi. He was head of our theology department. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I mean, we had many, many long hours and discussions, but he was so respected on campus that nobody would take me on if he knew that people knew that Bob Sosi was with me and, and he was on our board for 10 years. And, and uh, you know, I rewrote the bondage breaker a couple of years ago and I dedicated it to him and his memory. He's with the Lord now, but that, that was an incredible gift to me because he was, he was not only some credibility for me, but he was a sounding board. Yeah. And um, having been an aerospace engineer and we had the guidance system for the lunar lander and we actually did testing in my department on that guidance system. And I said, you aren't gonna put a product out there until you've uh, hammered it, dropped it, pounded, burned it, <laughs> cooked it, cooled it, everything, you know? And I said, because there's a mission at stake and you, you can't afford to be the weak link in that. And so I thank God for my engineering training along that line, because you know, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. I mean, so, or, you know, so is Neil Anderson bringing a new thing? I said, absolutely not. I said, one of the other gifts that God gave to me was I bought uh, University's ancient Christian commentary. And so I had a chance to go back and look at what all these church fathers were saying. And they were all on board with this. I mean, they knew that. And, and you look at evangelicalism today, the whole focus is on the cross. Well, thank God for Good Friday and the cross. But you look at the focus of the early church. It was all on the resurrection. It was all on the new life uh, and the new covenant. And, uh, and, you know, almost every good evangelical church, you know, has holds up the cross. But it's the resurrection. It's the new life. That gives me a new identity. I'm a child of God. And, uh, and I'm just puzzled why in the world we slipped away from that over these years. And I think we've had this kind of image. We got to k- tell people how bad they are so they can, you know, finally come to Christ. And I said, you know, the cross is a bridge diagram, but, you know, we never tell you who you are or what happens when you're on the other side. And so most believers around the world are laboring under a third of the gospel functionally that Jesus is a Messiah, died for my sins. When I die, I'll get to go to heaven if I believe in him. And that sounds okay, except that we give you the impression that eternal life is something you get when you die. Man, that's not true. What Adam and Eve lost in the fall was life. And that's what Jesus came to give us. And he who has the son has the life. Why doesn't every believer know that? I mean, so we take a new members class and we get a history of the denomination. and We became ancestor worshipers. I said, why don't you give them a true identity who they are? You know, not some denominational distinctive, but a true identity of what it really means to be a child of God. And that's why when I pray, he's my father. How basic is that, but how missing, unfortunately. Why do you think that that is missing so much? I, I don't know. I, uh, I, I really don't, to be honest with you. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, if it's a puzzle to me to this day, you know, and uh, why I didn't grasp onto that. But I, what I... What I've discovered is, is that uh, if people go to church and they've been told all their life that they're just a sinner saved by grace, and we almost do that boastfully. Look how humble I am. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I said, look how deceived you are. You're a saint who sins. You know, if you're a sinner, what do sinners do? What do alcoholics do? They drink. What do drop addicts do? They take drugs. But you don't identify your myself or fail your identity. That's the beauty of it. Is uh, But the other problem is, and this is profound, actually, what I've discovered is, is that with a genuine lack of repentance, people don't connect. And uh, you look at scripture, and in Mark chapter one, Jesus said, you know, the times are coming, repent and believe the gospel. We say, well, I know that, everybody knows that. No, we don't know that. What we hear is confess and believe. He said, well, aren't they the same? No, they're not the same. Confession is the first step in repentance. If you can't say I was wrong or I did it, I can't help you. But that's just confession. And uh, that is not the whole step. And so what happens is we sin and we confess. And we sin and confess and confess and confess. How about sin, confess, repent, change? When Paul preached, and you read the book of Acts, everywhere he went, he preached repentance. And then he said, 
the big thing John the Baptist said, go back and bring forth fruit in keeping where you're repentant. Where's the changed life? And um, so on my other learning curve at Talbot when I was a prof there was getting my eyes open to the reality of the spiritual world. I started to realize that all these people are unfortunately, you know, these voices that they're hearing are paying attention to deceiving spirits. And 1 Timothy 4.1, listen to this language, by the way. <laughs> Paul doesn't use it anywhere else that I know of. The Holy Spirit explicitly says, I mean, just by that alone, it's kind of like gong, 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 don't miss this one. In latter days, our days, people will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceiving spirits and teachings of demons. It's going on all over the world right now. I have counseled hundreds, thousands, probably thousands. Uh, over these many, many years, and uh, people who are struggling with their thoughts, difficulty concentrating, and some of them just have very condemning negative thoughts, you're no good, God doesn't love you, this isn't going to work, on and on it goes. Brother, I have no exception to this day. Every one of them has been spiritual, and we've sat down with our step to freedom and helped them submit to God, resist the devil, and walk out. Most of them, for the first time in their life, experience the peace of God that passes all understanding guard in their heart and their mind in Christ Jesus. You say, well, are you the only one that's dealing with people who are hearing voices and struggling with their thoughts? Absolutely not. Every psychiatrist and psychologist is. Unfortunately, though, they just pass that off as some kind of a chemical problem, which is bizarre when you think about it. How can a chemical produce a personality and a thought? How can my neurotransmitters randomly fire and create a thought that I'm opposed to thinking? you have a natural explanation for that? There isn't one. But what you will hear is, I gave them antipsychotic medications and the voices stopped. Well, sure. So did everything else. All you did was narcotize it. And by the way, that's the reason people drink and take drugs. They have no mental peace. You drown it out with alcohol or drugs only to wake up the next morning a little worse off than the day before. And so, I mean, this is going on all around the world right now. And you just wonder, where have we been for crying out loud? I mean, I mean this is clearly taught in scripture. I don't know why it, it, it isn't taught. And I, we still hear that to this day. How come I'm not hearing this? Huh? When I give my basic seminar, and it's just all classic, hardcore, bottom line theology. It's just biblical truth. That's all it is. But we, our, our Western world is so steeped in rationalism and naturalism that what we look for first is some natural, rational explanation for something. And I said, well, you just left out the reality of the spiritual world. I mean, you're, you're, our whole psychological industry today, even Christian ones, they get no training in this whatsoever. None. And I, you know, that's why in the past three or four American Association of Christian Counseling, guess who's had the biggest workshop for the last three times? I have. And, uh, I almost missed last one because my wife passed away almost two years ago and they called for papers and the time came and went. And, and so I said, well, I missed it. And they called me in March and said, you didn't submit a paper. I said, well, I missed the deadline. My wife passed away. And, well, not for you. Send something in. So I had 700 at my workshop a year ago. And then two weeks before they called me and asked me to do two training videos. Oh, brother, that would never have happened. Because this, this whole, and these are wonderful people, by the way, so I'm not disparaging these folks, uh, but, but they're all run by clinical psychologists. And to have a pastor teacher whose whole basis for his, his, his model of recovery is repentance and faith in God, to do two training videos for them, I don't think that could have happened 20, 30 years ago. And so now, just three weeks ago, they asked me if I'm going to submit a paper next spring. <laughs> and will I sign up to go a year from now down and I think it's down in uh, Florida and I said yeah probably so looking forward to that yeah I, I want to go back to a couple of things that you said you know you had mentioned uh, repentance and for some for the person who's listening in hey they're not entirely sure what repentance is can you can you just talk about what repentance is and for, for those of us who are in leadership, what does it look like to help lead someone through repentance as well? Right. Excellent question. Thank you. And uh, the people listening, if they have that question, they're not alone. I did a doctor ministry class one time and 19 pastors are in this class. Now they have a master's of divinity and have at least five years of church experience. 
And I gave him a little piece of paper and I said, you gave a stirring message Sunday morning and the spirit of God was moving and you called people forward to repent, specifically to repent. So I asked him two questions. I said, number one, what would they do? Number two, what should they do? Now you would think something so basic in Christianity as repent and believe God, there'd be a consistent answer. There wasn't anything close. And, and, and that was, it, it's baffling to me in a way. And if you break it down, repent is, you know, if, if you break the word down, it literally means change of mind. Mm-hmm. But there's more to it than just that, obviously. I mean, it's, it's a sense of I was walking this way because I believe this. Now I no longer believe that. So I no longer walk that way. Now I believe this when I'm walking this way. It, it was so critical in the early church that the whole phrase developed and is carried on to this day in Catholics and Orthodox. I renounce you, Satan, and all your works and all your ways. They would literally face the West and renounce all of Satan's works and activities. Then they would face the East and make a profession of faith in Christ. And um, uh, what they discovered early on in those days, uh, that when people would say, you know, okay, I believe this. But chances are they would still believe this. And now they're double-minded. It's like, you know, I believe what I learned in the world, but now I believe it. So I just... Look at salvation as addition. I just added something onto my life. That's not salvation. If that's what happened to you, you're not saved yet. Salvation is transformation. You've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's blood. So you're no longer an Adam, you are in Christ. So what is repentance? You know, if we broke it down, by the way, just to jump ahead, that's what our steps to freedom are. That's really what they are. It's a repentance process. Um, and so uh, I, I can't just make a profession of faith and believe in God and still believe everything I've always believed before because your whole progress forward is going to be backward, forward, backwards, forwards. And there has to be some way where I really can free myself from my past. Now, in reality, we are transformed by the renewing of my mind. That's going to take a lifetime process to do that. So I'm not talking instant maturity here, but I am talking about realizing your new identity and freedom in Christ. So it doesn't take your rest of your life to do that. But what cements that for you is that repentance process. Get rid of the lies, replace it with truth. And people are in bondage to lies and they've been taught something all their life and they still believe it. And uh, and and some you know, are, are afraid to make that jump because it isn't what I was taught or I'm going against my family or my denomination or my past or my school or the world or you know, all the critics or whatever else that's holding them back. But somewhere along the line, we have to make a tough decision in our life. Here's the truth, and I choose to believe it. And uh, But it's just about as important to say, then if that's true, then this is no longer true over here. And, and people have a hard time making that kind of a decision, letting go of the past, because even though the past isn't helping them, you know, doing the same thing, you know, I've always done all my life with no results. and uh, which people call insanity, which is kind of right. And But letting go of that, letting go of my traditions, letting go of what I thought was right years ago, which really aren't, it's kind of hard for some people to do that. And so I really realized you just need the grace of God to do that. You really need to include God in this process. And uh, there was the other major turning point for me was having my eyes opened up to the spiritual battle that's going on for people's minds, but also in terms of resolution, why are our steps to freedom so effective? I mean, the research has been done on us that has just turned heads all over the world saying, how in the world do you explain this? How can some people suddenly come out of depression like that or an anxiety disorder? I said, if you're using techno, you know, secular methods, you, it's not going to happen. And, and the only way you can explain it is, is the presence of God. And, and that was, if you got a moment, because this is the critical part of this whole thing was, when I was, when I, my eyes were opened up as to who I was and God started bringing me these people, I'd get stuck. I didn't know where to go next. And so scripture says, if you lack wisdom, ask, God will give it to you. So I would literally tell him that. I said, I know God's the answer right now. I don't know if you want to stick with me, I'm just going to pray and search scripture with you. And, and, uh, and so I'd stop and pray and ask God for wisdom. I remember one time I sat there for almost five minutes, 10 minutes waiting upon God. And then I thought, hmm. I'm asking God to tell me so I could tell that person that would make me a medium. And there's only one intermediary, intermediary between God and man. Why don't I have them pray? 
They're children of God. They have the same access to their Heavenly Father I do. Overnight, my ministry just, just did a, almost a 180. Yeah. It, it was so incredible. And I sat down one afternoon and I just wrote out some simple petitions that they could pray. You know, not me praying for them, but they could pray. And uh, like, for instance, God, who do I need to forgive? Would you reveal to my mind who I need to forgive? And they had already told me about their dad or their mom who they couldn't stand. But out come another 20 people, and uh, which we hadn't even talked about before. And, uh, and it just w- went on from there. I always tell people, look at it this way. I said, every true believer is a child of God. We all have the same access to our Heavenly Father. All of us do. And, uh, uh, but you're a parent, and you've got two young boys. And the younger one's always asking the older one, go ask dad if I can go to the movies tonight or 10 bucks for the show or whatever. Now, you're a good parent. Would you accept that? No. You'd tell your, go tell your brother to come in here himself. But do we do that? We do it all over, all the time in our churches. Yeah. We, Pastor, would you pray for me? Pastor, don't get me wrong. I believe in praying for each other and I believe in intercessory prayer. But that's not to replace an individual's responsibility to pray. And I always use James 5 as an illustration of that because everybody in their mind says, the effect of fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much and whatever else. I said, but that's not how the passage begins. It says, if any of you are suffering, let him pray. That's how it begins. Why? Well, because I can't do your praying for you. Don't get me wrong. I believe in intercessory prayer. But that's not to replace the individual responsibility to pray. And so immediately, when you have that person do that, it connects them right now to God. And he's the convictor of sins. You know, he's taken up residence in their life. He's the mind of Christ. He's the spirit of God's going to lead them in all truth. And, and he's the one who's going to lead them into truth. And so my role became that of a facilitator. And basically what it is, it's a ministry of reconciliation. I'm helping this person remove their barriers to their intimacy with God. But the only way that can do that is God. I can't do that. And, uh, and so all of this theories that we've had in counseling is me developing these skills so somehow I can help you. Mm-hmm. I said, I can't set a capture free or bind when the wounds are broken. Only really God can do that. And so, frankly, we've left God out of the process. We've acknowledged him at first, start with prayer, and then end with prayer. That's tokenism in a way, if we think about it. But when I sit down with another person, I, I always use it like a triangle. I said, there's three parties present. God is always here. And there's a role that God and only God can play. And when I try to play God in that person's life, I'm going to screw it up every time. And uh, I said, every side of that triangle is a relationship. Most important is my own personal relationship with God. That's critical. I mean, I got to be right with God, be used of God. It's very important how I relate to this person. But what am I trying to do? We're all in this mess because of the fall. What I'm trying to do is help this person repair their relationship with their heavenly father. That's reconciliation. That's our ministry. And um, now ask yourself the question, who's responsible for what? What happens if that triangle gets all distorted and I try to assume your responsibility for you? That doesn't work. I mean, there's a lot of times I'd like to choose for people, but it's their choice. They can't, I can't do it. And you ever played the role of the Holy Spirit in your spouse's life? Did that work? No, that doesn't work either. And so I, every time I sit with an individual, I do with the understanding, God is present. He's omnipresent. And this is a child of God that I'm dealing with. And my whole role is a ministry of reconciliation. And so if I can help this person genuinely repent, but in doing that, what I discovered was 2 Timothy 2.24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, able to teach, faithful, and wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, having escaped the snare of the devil, having made a hell captive to do his will. And uh, that's not a power model. That's a kind, compassionate, able to teach model. And, and, and God grants that repentance, and then they walk off free. There's nothing magical here. There's nothing that wasn't there in Scripture all along. So I'm just, maybe at some time in my life, I discovered old truth that somehow or another we bypassed. And, and part of it is because our whole Western system has basically kind of ignored the reality of the spiritual world. I, w- I want to go back to what you were saying. Uh, 
And uh, what what helped you manage that tension of what you were saying of whenever whenever you're in the counseling appointment with somebody and you're trying to manage the tension between, hey, you want to help this person, you know, lead them towards reconciliation, but at the same time, you don't want to play the role of God. What helped, what helped you manage that? Well, uh, honestly, God. I, I mean, I, I just believe he shows up. He's the convictor of sin. I can literally say I haven't pointed out sin in somebody's life in probably 25 years. I don't need to do that. God has done that. God is, he's the convictor of sin. If the conviction isn't there, I mean, you're kind of wasting your time anyhow. I mean, if, if, if God hasn't prepared this person's heart or whatever else, I've had to stop people. I'm saying, you're not ready for this yet. You know, let me know when you are. And uh, not too often that happens, but it has happened. I've just simply realized they're just there because somebody suggested it or, or you know, and, but they, they're not connecting. Mm-hmm. And so when I recognize that, I just stop the process and, and say, let me know when you're ready. You know, I'll be here and, and for you. Some have come back, some don't. And uh, you, you can't force repentance. You can't force yeah. brokenness. It, you, it's not possible to do that. If you do it, you're the one who's doing it, and, they, and they're going to retaliate against you. I said, if you point out people's sin in your life, you've misdirected that person's battle with God onto yourself. And we're not up for the task. And uh, and so that's why legalism has been such a horrible thing for the church to overcome. It's it just really has damaged people. And we had George Barner research some questions for us several years ago. And we wrote a book, Overcome the Bondage of Legalism. It's amazing how people still relate to God under the Old Testament covenant, you know, of law. And, uh, and don't realize the grace of God in their life. And it's tragic, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that happens. So I, I, you really got me curious of just what, like, what does, like, whenever you have an appointment with somebody, like, like, what do you do and everything? Like, because uh, like, I'm not the only one who's found themselves in a situation to where they're trying to do exactly what you're trying to do. You're trying to help them become more reconciled to God. And many times it's just like, we can sometimes just wonder, what do we do? Like, what have you learned about what to do in those situations? Well, here's what I've learned. Here's what we teach. I said, just take time, sit down, hear the story. Hmm. Uh, you, you, you're not trying to resolve anything in this. You just want to get the story. I always try to get a timeline. What was your childhood like? Good, bad? What was your home like? I'm looking for uh, probably defining moments in their life, like mom and dad were divorced when I was three, or, you know, teacher, how was grade school? How was high school? And I just get a storyline for them. And um, I'm not, I'm not looking for detail. That'll come out, but not in this process. I, I just want them to feel comfortable. Tell me about their life. And uh, very people will, few people will actually self-disclose at that time. By that I mean, will actually say what's going on inside. And um, and you know, when it, they I brought them up to the present. I've asked every one of them to this day. I still do the same thing. I said, would you like to resolve that? Nobody has ever said no. I said, with your permission, then, I'd like to lead you through these steps to freedom. And I said, no, what's going to happen here is not what I do. It's what you do. And uh, to maintain control and, and where I could be difficult cases spiritually, they're paying attention to deceiving spirit. Uh, I said, I need one cooperation from you. If you have thoughts, you know, contrary to what we're talking about, just share them with me. Just bring it out in the light. We won't lose control here. And I found a way, even the most severe cases, you never have to lose control. You can just talk to the person uh, gently, quietly, you know, warmly, kindly. (laughs) One act of unkindness, your ministry is done. They'll just close up on you. And so it really takes the grace of God, you know, during that time, not to be condemning, not to criticize, not to explain, you know, let me explain that. No, don't try to explain it. it it's, that just leads to excuses after a while, you know, well, no wonder you're that way. Your parents beat you up. And I said, now you just give them a means to say, this is why I'm dysfunctional and blame your mom and dad for it. And that'll never get them out of there. And so uh, then we just start and it starts by them praying. I said, well, let's just start with this person. Let's look at any false guidance or whatever else. Like, would you ask God to guide you during this time? 
And uh, so we have a kind of a whole checklist of things that could have been involved in terms of the occult. That, that was a mind boggling to me. Our, our first step that we look at, we get that out of the way because if there's going to be interference, it'll probably be here. And uh, if they've been involved in some kind of satanic thing or if they've been involved in some you know, false religions or whatever. And uh, as I've put that whole thing together, there wasn't one thing on there I would check. <laughs> I, I guess I had an innocent childhood, but I, uh, the average person today will check off about 10 or 12 occultic things that they've been involved in and things that they just thought weren't harmless, like Ouija board, magic eight ball, you know, blood packs, seances. Well, it was, it was just a game. I said, it's not a game. And uh, I mean, false guidance in the Old Testament, if you were a medium or a spiritist, you were to be killed. If you consulted them, you were to be cut off. I mean, so false guidance is a serious thing. But I'm still amazed today how many people will check off 5, 10, 15 things in that. I kind of go, really? Why'd you do that for? Ladies, probably more than men, to be honest with you. They're so curious about tomorrow, so they'll go get their tea leaves read and their palms read and read their astrological sign. Well, I read it, but I don't believe it. I said, you put it in your mind. Not something you should do. And um, so what's the big one over the years? Big one, by far, unforgiveness. Nothing will keep you in bondage and tied to your past more than a bitter spirit, more than a non-forgiveness. I don't have any exceptions to this day that every person that I've had the privilege to lead to freedom has had a list somewhere between 10 and 30 people they needed to forgive. And, uh, and as long as they hang on to that bitterness, let no road of bitterness spring up or by many are defiled. It doesn't just affect them. It affects their whole family, their marriage, everything else. And uh, nothing is more liberating. Nothing is more Christ-like than to forgive as you've been forgiven. I asked 600 pastors at a conference I was doing one time. I said, how many have given a message Sunday morning on what it means to forgive from your heart and how to do it? Not one person raised their hand. Well, no wonder, folks. No wonder. Whenever I've done a conference in the past, I don't embarrass people. In, you know, but I've asked people to make a decision. You know, when I explain forgiveness, what it is and how to do it, I said, uh, I'm just going to ask you to do something right now. You're not responding to me. You're responding to God. Yes. I know there's one or more people I need to forgive. I want you to just stand right now just to make some commitment. I need to do this. 99% of the people will stand in every church. Now, what if I come come that weekend? Should they take communion next Sunday? No, they shouldn't. Will they? Well, of course. So what is that? You know, if we're honest with ourselves, it's meaningless. In fact, to be honest with you, Paul actually warns against that, that we shouldn't take communion unless we've carefully examined ourselves. And so we just kind of go through this rote motion and just repeat it every week. And, and, uh, and I've seen people you know, live in bitterness their whole life. One of my favorite stories, our Canadian director was doing video conferences and then doing the counseling during the week. And, and uh, uh, there was an old man in the church, pillar of the church, you know, 73-year-old man. He was against having the conference, and, but he got outvoted by the board. And so they had it. And people were surprised that he came, but he sat in the back, you know, like a share, <laughs> inspecting, waiting for me to say something he disagreed with. And and uh, so Robert went to him on Wednesday. He said, I'm going to counsel a young man. Would you sit in as just a prayer partner? Just, just pray. He agreed. Probably came to inspect, you know, kind of a thing. And God set this guy free. Just changed his life. And uh, that old man came to Robert that night and said, would you do that for me? Robert said, well, I'd have to stay over on Sunday to do it. Would you? All right. He said, but I don't want anybody in there with me. By Saturday, he went to that young man. I was a prayer partner for you. Would you be for me? Sunday afternoon, that 73-year-old man finally forgave his father. Can you imagine how much damage was done in his marriage, in that church, in his family, carrying that bitterness all those years? That was my father. Not the same person, but yeah. that was my dad, too. Yeah. Did it have an effect on our family? Of course it did. How could it not have? And um, 
And we just let that go week after week after week. And uh, I said, people all over the world are going to church every morning, got a baggage full of stuff in their hand, a whole bunch of junk they never dealt with, hear a good message on the tabernacle, pick up their bags and go back home week after week after week. And, uh, and there's virtually almost nothing available for them to deal with that in churches. And that's, that's, that's been our calling in life is to try to equip churches to do that. I could train a pastor in a morning how to take somebody through the steps. This isn't, this isn't that complicated. And uh, it's really odd too, because over the years I've done a lot of doctor ministry classes and I did teach them. I'll have, if there's a class of 20, there will be one who didn't get it. I almost look for him, you know, just that critic, you know, kind of a guy. Half will thank me very much. It was a good class and nothing changed. Another half will go home and just start leading people to freedom left and right. I wish I could explain that one. I said, why don't you help people? You know, and part of the answer is, I don't want to be critical, but I said, part of the answer is, that's not what they've been taught. They've been taught to give the best message they can Sunday morning and have the best choir. So everything in my church is, is for that one hour Sunday morning, put on the best program we can possibly put on. And uh, that's how you grow a church. You have the best speaker and the best music in town. And people will flock to it. And go home same way they came. Does that resonate with you? <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I agree. I think sometimes, uh, whether it be um, intentionally or unintentionally, sometimes we could get so focused on, uh, on executing the services on the weekend that we forget about actual life transformation at times. And I, I want to go back and I would love for you to say more um, just about, uh, and I mean, you touched on it about the toll that bitterness and unforgiveness can have on other people in our lives, but why? Say more about why forgiving the people on our lives, even if it's something small or something big, why that's so important. Well, uh, the easy answer is, is that uh, uh, look at the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive me as I've forgiven others. Think about that for just a moment. I mean, we may not be asking for much. Uh, it, it really comes back to the core issue of Christianity. Is, is there's barriers between us and other people. And if we don't forgive, that barrier will remain there. Mm. And uh, we will keep holding it over the past. When Jesus, when the scripture says, you know, I'll remember your sin no more. That doesn't mean I'll forget. God couldn't forget if he wanted to. What he means is I will put it away from me as far as the east is to the west. And I won't take the past and use it against you. And so when you say to your spouse, well, two years ago you did this. You know what you just said? I haven't forgiven you. I'm still taking the past and throwing it up against mm -hmm. you. And, um, and that's going to damage any relationship uh, that we have. And so with those barriers that exist all around us and people in our church and we're mad and we're ticked off and, and angry. And, and part of it is, is that we want justice. I understand that. You say, where's the justice? Just forgive him, let him off my hook. Why should I let him off my hook? I said, that's exactly why you should. You're still hooked to them. But you let them off your hook. Are they off God's hook? No, revenge is mine. I'll repay, saith Lord. You have to believe that. Every person has to believe that. Now you say, where is the justice then? It's in the cross. Christ died once for all. Your sins, my sins, his sins, her sins. You take the cross out of this, and, and it, it's, it, it is foolishness in a way. You know, so we want that pound of flesh. And God says, I'll get the pound. You just get on with your life. <laughs> I provided for you a way to be free and uh, choose freedom and let it go. And uh, he said, but you don't know how bad they hurt me. I said, they're still hurting you. That's why you let it go. And you let God deal with that person, you get on with your life. I mean, it is that definitive. I've had one person just stands out of my, I mean, the first 10 people came out of her mouth she needed to forgive. One of those would set an average person into a tailspin. I mean, this was one of the most abused human beings I've ever seen. And working through that forgiveness process was painful. I mean, I, you, but it's more painful not to, because then you'll just hang on to it all your life. But it, you're watching people struggle 
you know, letting that go and you know, I have to forgive completely. I need to, to acknowledge each hurt and pain that comes up. Otherwise, you're just bypassing thing. You want to, you got to allow God to get down to that emotional core. Well, she just needed to take a break. And uh, she went to the restroom and came back. She looked at the piece of paper. She said, why do the names at the top of the list look different now than the names at the bottom that she hadn't yet processed? All you would have to do in that woman's life was to just to say one of those names before and she'd have an emotional reaction. Hmm. And now she could look at that name and didn't have it. That's freedom. Um, it was that definitive for her. And, you know, you, you, everybody's got soft points in your life and you can mend certain things and somebody gets a knee-jerk response. I call it a primary emotion. And you just touch that person's nerve. You don't know what you did. They don't, you don't know their past, but you touched a sore spot in their life. I said, what if you've been hurt a lot? What if, what if you've been bruised a lot in life? And there's, after a while, there's movies you can't go to, you subjects you can't talk about, people you can't see. And your world can start shutting down on you. And you're allowing all those things to still have a control over you. That's what freedom brings, is that no more, victim no more. You're not going to control me. And, and, and Caleb, the best thing about uh, knowing who you are in Christ and what God's plan for you in your life is, nobody can keep Neil Anderson from being the person God created him to be. Only Neil can do that. You can't do that. So you can riot out there. You can march. You can have the currency fall out. You can lose your job. Doesn't determine who I am. Only God has the right to determine who I am. And I'm a child of God and nobody can keep me from being the person God created to be. That's liberating people. That's liberating. You can't blame anybody else. God's not going to do that. Life is an entitlement, not an entrustment. We're not going to stand before God someday and he's going to say, did you get all you were entitled to down there? Trust me, folks, that's not going to happen. Yeah. It's all an entrustment. And one we're going to be accountable for, whether he gave us two talents or five or ten, it's all an, an entrustment. And, we, and it's required of us to be faithful and to be a good steward of what God has entrusted us to do. And what makes that possible is, is his presence in my life. And nobody can keep that from happening to me. Mm -hmm. I, I want to I follow up on, uh, on, on forgiveness. And then I want to ask you one last question. Um, for, for the person who is, who has listened and right, let me, let me go back. I think we've all probably had a situation to where, you know, we, we feel like we have forgiven someone and then, uh, you know, whether it be a year later or whatever it is, but it just feels like all of the emotion around it has just come back for one reason or another. And it's like, I, th I thought I forgave this person, but it feels like there's still all of this emotion in there. Like, what, what can we do with that? Yeah. Uh, that's why I try as best I can to present the most holistic answer. Mm -hmm. If you haven't dealt with the enemy, he's the accuser of their brother and he's going to bring that back. Mm -hmm. And so, if you know, I need to submit to God, but I also need to resist the devil. And uh, so I, if I haven't taught this person how to stand, you know, he could fall back again. That's why I said, uh, I don't like to have people come in and just go through the steps of freedom. Read Victory Over Darkness first. Read Bondage Breaker first. Know, what, know how you're able to stand. Understand the armor of God. Understand your, the authority and the protection that you have in Christ. Or you could fall right back into that pit again. I said, so part of the problem is that part of the problem is that it wasn't a complete repentance and if it's not complete then it's just like you got the door open here somewhere and the other part of it is is emotions have a tendency to recycle and uh and you have to be aware of that when they come up and just stop it at the very beginning no i ain't going there man i forgave him a year ago and i'm not going to pick up that thing again because you can't that's possible and you can pick up somebody else's offense and and start getting mad at that person you know, and, and feel the same anger that's the one who got abused. And I said, don't go there either, because that's not going to help that person. you got two people now feeding the same fire. And I said, 
you know, if you really love that friend who's being abused by her husband or wife or something like that, you sit down, I'm going to help you forgive that person and set up scriptural boundaries to stop further abuse. But I'm not going to just join your campaign to kill the bum. I mean, you know, that's what the flesh wants to do. But I'm not going to, you know, allow the flesh control this situation right now. I want you to be free from that. I've never, would never recommend divorce. You know, there's grounds for divorce, but I, I just, I don't recommend it. But I have recommended and strongly encouraged people to separate, stop the abuse, turn them in. Uh, not vindiciously, but, but you'll never help the abuser by allowing them to continue in their abuse. And so uh, you have every right to set up scripture boundaries to stop further abuse. And uh, we actually have laws in our land to help us do that. And sometimes you need some good godly counsel to to follow through that on a personal way. So you ask a very, very good question, because I've seen people who said, you know, well, I forgave my dad. I said, would you forgive him for it? Well, things he did. What did you do? I don't want to talk about it. And you suddenly realize they haven't. They've just, you know, you forgive generically, you get generic freedom. Yeah. That's why in the process of doing it, we always say, you know, I'll write a little line. I said, I forgive my dad. What for? Stay with that till ever remember pain and every hurt, commission or omission for not being there when needed. And how did it make you feel? You know, you got to allow to, to forgive from your heart. You got to allow it get down to the to the emotional core. If you just superficially go through it, okay, I forgive my dad and my mom. You, you, stop, stop. I want to help you, but you're not doing it. You're, you're not engaging. You're not connecting. And uh, see, we try to push it down. There's been so much pain there. We try to suppress it, push it down. And God's trying to surface it so we can let it go. And uh, so if you, if you can't acknowledge the hurt and the hate, then I can't help you. I mean, we have to be emotionally honest. Frankly, if we're not emotionally honest, God is going to have to make us so, so that we can be real. You, you can't be right with God and not be real. It can be. It's impossible. It's yeah. phony. It's hypocrisy. Yeah. And uh, and if if we deny it, he usually puts us in a situation to where we can no longer deny it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, you know, the hound of heaven is after you, and but because he loves you. I mean, it's always, it, it's, you know, we're going to be accountable for God, but, you know, start with the fact that, that God loves me, not because I'm lovable, because God is love. It's his nature to love me. And so all discipline is a proof of his love. So if you're being chastised by God, see it as an act of kindness and love. Don't see that as punishment. The punishment I deserved has already fallen on Christ. And uh, that's why we have to sort out dealing with our kids, the difference between punishment and discipline. Perfect love uh, has been cast out because fear involves punishment. But punishment I deserve has already fallen on Christ. But discipline is a future orientation, not a past one. You know, uh, we're all being disciplined by God that it produces the spiritual fruit of righteousness. So it's all, it's, it's future intending, super choice, uh, future choices. And uh, when you're just hitting a guy because he did something, that's punishment. That's retroactive. But discipline is always future oriented so that I may share in his holiness. It's, it's, you go through Proverbs, how many times it says, don't. Stop the reproof, you know, just over and over again, the same old practical advice keeps coming on because it really is your, a good thing that's happening to you, that God has disciplined you because he loves you. Well, just as we're wrapping up, for the person who's listening right now, and we've covered so much stuff and they're just like, where should I start? So what, what would you say to the person who's just trying to figure out where's a good place to start whenever it comes to what we've talked about? Well, for me, it's victory over darkness. <laughs> Discover who you are. I mean, you know, I, Caleb, I can't tell you how blessed I am that, that my first two books, Victory Over Darkness and Bond, both sold two million, two, two million worldwide. They've been on the bestseller list for 30 years. And, uh, and there's something endearing there, obviously. And it, it, frankly, it wasn't because I was a great writer. I think God has given me a good message. And, and uh, the publishers came to me about two years ago and said, would you like to do a final total? I do a total rewrite after 30 years. Message is pretty much the same, more insight, but I'm a better writer than I was 30 years ago. And uh, so I'm so grateful I could do that. But from our perspective, you know, if you really want to 
to lay the foundation, it starts with victor over darkness and the bondage breaker. And um, that, that's our core message. If you want to do it as a church, then, then we have a discipleship course. It's, it's only 10 lessons long. It tells you who you are, what the gospel is, the battle for your mind, emotions, forgiveness, relationships, and then actually set up to lead you through the steps to freedom. That's where we encourage churches to start. Start it as a 10-week class in your church. Make it foundational. Because getting free in Christ is not a, an end. It's a beginning. But until you are free, you're going to struggle with all the old junk from your past. Well, Neil, I know people are going to want to continue to learn from you and find the books and also just know about, uh, about Freedom in Christ Ministries. Where's the best place for people to go to, to find and learn about all those things? Well, our international website is, is Freedom in Christ. Dot org and uh, our U.S. office is FICM, Freedom in Christ Ministries dot org, FICM. And uh, what we're trying to do, uh, we don't own anything. You know, I've never charged for ministry, for counseling. I've never gone where I haven't been asked. We don't advertise. We don't, you know, and yet we got offices in 35 countries. You know, that's just the grace of God. But we have ministry associates and, uh, and staff around the world. But the ministry associates, they can go online and actually go through our online university where they will be led through Victor Doctors and Bondage Breaker and given a four-day practicum and, and training. And that can all be done online. It's being done online around the world. And um, so if, if you're a pastor in a church, start with, the, start with the course. You know, make it an entry level for people. Before you look at your depression and your anxiety and all these, go through this first. Get connected to God. Now the great physician, great counselor is in your life to help you sort through the rest of it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much just for spending your time with me today and for just being on the podcast. Well, Caleb, you've been a joy. Thank you so much. Neil, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. Thank you for, I can literally say uh, that you've made such a huge difference. Your work has made such a huge difference in my own life. And I know I, I speak on that for many people who have listened to you before. And uh, just thank you. Thank you again for all of your work. Thank you for writing all of your books. I highly recommend them. Uh, all of Neil's books, particularly Victory Over the Darkness and The Bondage Breaker, are must-reads. If you haven't read them before, I would I highly recommend them, obviously. And uh, just thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Thank you, Sam, for providing the music as well. And also just thank you for listening and for helping us create a safe place to where we can have dangerous conversations because we truly believe that we can learn from everyone and from anyone, from anything and from everything. And that's what we want to do on this podcast, create a safe place to where we can continue to learn and grow as humans, as leaders, as people, uh, and and as we're talking about today, you know, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we want to continue to grow in our in our uh, development of Christ likeness and becoming more like Christ as well. And even if you're not a Christian, I'm just grateful that you've decided to listen to the podcast as well. I'm so grateful for you. And uh, if you have anything that we would love to talk about, that you would love us to talk about, or you would love me, I guess, to talk about on the podcast, or if you would just want to reach out and connect, you can feel free to hit me up on Instagram. My uh, my handle is at Caleb J. Mason. Would love to hear from you. And uh, just thank you. Thank you again for listening to the podcast today. Thank you again, as I mentioned before. Thanks, Sam, for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Just thank you, everybody. Thank you for Neil for being on the podcast. And I'm so excited for our next episode as we continue to just learn and grow together. And so my name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.